All right, look, before we even talk fantasy or DFS or about how we're both about to be living on the streets after another set of fat L's today, (laughs) I just need to ask you one question. Like, are you okay mentally? Because I know that, you know, you are one of the preeminent voices of team pay down for tight end on DraftKings. You were punting it off with min price tight ends on DK Cash before it was cool, you know, before it was trendy. And today in week 16, not only did you run a two tight end construction in cash, but you played Travis Kelsey as one of those tight ends who cost $8,500, the highest price a tight end has ever been on DraftKings. The guy who pays down at tight end paid for the most at tight end that anybody ever has. So, you know, when I first saw this, you know, my, my, the first thought that came to my mind wasn't like to berate you and call you a fish like I usually would, but it was to like check on you, be like, are you all right? Are you on some new medication? Like what's going on with you? You good, bro? <laughs> Eh, I'm kind of kind of disgusted with myself, <laughs> um, but I, I had a feeling about Kelsey today and he ended up having a good game and he really did separate himself from the rest of the tight end pool because every other tight end was just terrible, literally still went to the pay down roots, uh, played Parham at the min price, but on this slate, particularly when we had so much value, I didn't really view Kelsey as a tight end. I've, I viewed him more as like a wide receiver mm. in the context of the slate and somebody to pay up to. And I thought he was better than Ridley, and I thought he was better than Tyreek Hill. And it was one of those three guys for me. So I, you know, I just did the unforgivable and paid up for Travis Kelsey. Ended up scoring 22 points. Like I said, he did separate himself from the pool. Could have had a better day if he just gets two measly yards. Um, Would have hit 25 plus. Tough scenes all around for that. But, you know, I, I like my construction. We'll get into it. But it is kind of disgusting to, uh, <laughs> to pay up for the highest price tight end of all time on DraftKings. Yeah. I mean, it's not even like the results necessarily because, I mean, it it definitely was Kelsey, Ridley, or Hill, and Kelsey scored the most of the three. So, like, in a vacuum, you were right. It just, you know, it just doesn't sit right with me, knowing who you are (laughs) and what you've done. I don't know. I mean, that's a fact, yeah. I'm kind of disgusted with myself, like I said, so tough (laughs) tough scenes. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 122 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined, as I always am, by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap a brutal week 16 of DFS action on DraftKings. We will review the popular cash game plays from the slate, the decision points you had to make around them, and our results. We'll also go over the Millie-making lineup on DraftKings, what it took to win a million dollars playing DFS this week, and of course, we'll close out the show with some of the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. But before we do, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out links to the podcast, links to all of our content, whether that be articles, clips, anything else that we might tweet. It's on 
our Twitter. So make sure you are following us over there. Another way you can help support us is just by making sure you are subscribed or followed to the podcast. So if you're listening to this, it's just a button right under the name of the podcast. It's free to do so and it helps us out a lot. And speaking of subscribing, you can go over to our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose and subscribe over there. We're currently at 154 subscribers. So if we can reach that 160 mark, that would be fantastic and then lastly if you want you can join our free discord chat which is linked down below in the description we talk about dfs every single week go in depth about plays and and all that stuff uh surrounding just lineup talk and general cash game and tournament construction so make sure you join the discord is free and you literally can't be free so absolutely hop in there if you want to get premium advice like me touting sammy Watkins this morning i mean where <laughs> else are you going to get that hey, <laughs> i mean he was a very very good gbp play yeah amazing amazing um <laughs> all right let's get into the highly owned cash game plays for the week and we're going to run over some of these guys that came in highly owned in the 25 dollars single entry massive double up on draft kings and at running back this week david montgomery was the highest owned at 70.9 percent coming in um well above the field melvin gordon was next 49 percent and austin eckler behind him at 39.3 at wide receiver t higgins was by far the highest owned guy at 44 percent calvin ridley after that at 21.8 there was a bunch of like middling chalk as well but nobody that was truly highly owned quarterback jalen hurts and patrick mahomes accounted for over 76 percent of the combined ownership at quarterback hurts slightly higher 43.1 mahomes was 33 and the tight end it was really three guys kelsey 29.3 percent like we mentioned in the open austin hooper 28.4 percent and donald parham xfl legend at 23 percent the cash line in that single entry double up was 135.7 comparable across all of the price points joey how did you do on the week yeah uh took another l so two straight l's um ending the nfl season on a bad note one week left 16 games slate next week that that should be interesting but uh yeah took another l scored 124 points in cash so missed the cash line by about 11 or 12 points depending on what contest you look at and lost every double up obviously won about 50 percent of my head-to-head so kind of salvaged in that regard but still a tough day at the office over here and yeah i mean we'll talk about it but just very very tilting yeah i mean i lost as well a little bit less like tilting i guess because i never was sweating about it because i was just so brutally buried from jump i mean god this was by far my lowest win rate ever i think previously my lowest was like seven percent or something like that i scraped by with a nice 97.7 points today good for a 2.8 percent total win rate i won a a nice four head-to-heads out of 128 (laughs) and and zero double up so i mean just an all-time tough week now i mean i did not have the lineup that i started with i definitely made some negative ev pivots in an attempt to you know you know recapture some of the ground that i had lost so i i think i could have had a better day could have salvaged some of the head-to-heads if i just left in the guys that i had planned to play but 
you know, I, I tried to make some some magic happen, and there was there was no magic to be had. Yeah, and I, I think that just sums up the entire slate in general because, uh, I mean, I, I was cashing for a good bit of the day up until probably like five or six o'clock is when things started to uh, go in the wrong direction for me. So yeah, just we we needed the magic in it in it didn't come for us today so yeah and i mean this was a slate with a lot of decision points it was a slate with a lot of chaos i mean you know nba is back in full swing so that's distracting a lot of people yourself included uh (laughs) holidays right you know everybody was getting drunk with their families on friday or doing you know maybe something more functional for the normal people out there i was just you know letting letting myself slip there um saturday we had a three-game slate which was like a a lot of action there you know there was the friday showdown mixed with the nba it's just there was a ton of stuff going down and then to top it all off there was late news that completely shifted the the that completely shifted the slate keenan allen and hunter henry out for the chargers which completely changed the dynamic of players in that game that we were considering it made austin eckler go from a guy who was, you know, borderline comparable to David Montgomery, even less favorable of a play than David Montgomery to being like the pure lock of the slate. It put, you know, XFL legend Donald Parham in play at 2,500. And then we also had the Brown situation where on Saturday, four of their top wide receivers got COVID or were deemed to be close contacts and they had to run complete scrubs, you know, complete uh, practice squad players and were, you know, giving Austin Hooper like 15 targets today. So with all of this late news and, and it all just sort of coming together, there was a lot of stuff to sort of handle without a lot of clear focus on it, I think. Yeah, definitely agree with everything that you said in terms of just it being a chaotic weekend and then like you said the nba's back people were paying attention to that weren't really paying attention to the main slate so i thought there was going to be an edge with just keeping up with the nfl this this weekend right um and like you said there was a lot of late news that kind of shifted things and we can uh talk about it but I i feel like we handled it pretty well with playing the chargers guys that were cheap kind of fading the Browns wide receivers that were going to have ownership at a cheap price tag. Well, specifically Marvin Hall uh, didn't play him. And I I guess the main thing for me was the Chargers, man. They were just so cheap. There was three, maybe four Chargers in play for cash games. And I think that was the biggest news to keep up on was Keenan Allen's status, if Hunter Henry was going to play, because all of the value was on the Chargers side of the football and they ended up busting so shout out to the chargers yeah i think that was one of the main uh decision points or one of the main things that was going to give you an edge was playing those chargers guys and it did not work out yeah i mean i liked the majority of them so one of the things i wanted to touch on was just the decision point between the two cheap tight ends in parham and austin hooper because i think in retrospect austin hooper might have been the right play and i know it even even in one point in our discord chat you were mentioning that you know you thought that hooper would be the right play and i think that he was because you know donald parham was a guy who some of us you know the people who played xfl dfs or followed the xfl i mean you probably weren't following it unless you were gambling on it or playing DFS, but we were. Mm-hmm. We briefly, you know, did a couple of podcasts talking about it. And Donald Parham was that dude. 
and it was like nostalgic and it was like a personal bias towards him because I'm like, oh, he won won us some money in XFL. Now we get the chance to play him in NFL. Let's jam him just like we did with PJ Walker that one week. So, you know, it, it was almost like that personal bias didn't let me see that. Well, you know, what about Austin Hooper, who's actually like a legit NFL tight end, who was like a top six tight end in fantasy last year in PPR? Um, at 3,500. And, you know, then Hooper goes on to get 15 targets. Meanwhile, Parham gets out targeted by what, Sean Anderson? Like, come on, bro. <laughs> so it's like, I Steven. feel like. Steven. Steven. See, I don't name. even know him. <laughs> See, yeah, I just saw S. Anderson, you know, scooping up every down that I thought Parham was going to be out there. But it, it so like, I don't want to say that we didn't handle the news because we were up to date on it. We were well aware of it. It's not like we missed the news and and completely overlooked it, but I don't know if we reacted to it, or at least I don't know if I reacted to it in the right way. Like Marvin Hall, that was easy to avoid. Stuff like that was easy to avoid. Um, But yeah, I mean, I jammed Austin Eckler. He didn't get there. And, you know, Mike, Mike Williams, Guyton, none of the, none of them got there. None of the value chargers got there. Yeah. And that is what kind of busted my lineup was the Chargers value guys not getting there, specifically Mike Williams and Donald Parham. I guess Eckler was was fine, didn't really do much, and maybe it was wrong to jam in Eckler, but I thought, you know, from a pre-lock process standpoint that he was still one of the best plays on the board, even though the results didn't work out with no Keenan, with no Hunter Henry, thought he was going to be more involved than what he actually was. So that was tough with Eckler, but he ended up scoring, what, 15 or 16 points mm-hmm. so kind of kind of made up or didn't make up for it but he wasn't a bust like the other two guys and yeah that was that was just the most tilting part of the day for me was watching mike williams drop a touchdown in the fourth quarter in the end zone just a brutal brutal tough scene and then speaking on donald parham yeah maybe that was an oversight right like you said we may have had a bias for Donald Parham from his XFL days earlier in the year and I did mention it in the discord and I was thinking about it but the savings from Hooper to Parham kind of helped the construction that we wanted to run we needed that salary so I think it was fine and Hooper only ended up scoring 12 points but like you said he did have 15 targets so he could have had a fantastic day but he ended up not having a good day uh considering his target share Austin Hooper that is so I think Donald Parham was an oversight and wasn't a bad play but I don't think it was a good play we definitely should have considered moving up from him in cash games i think there was another piece of news late that i mean it wasn't necessarily news but it was just a development i guess in that when adam schefter updated us on tyreek hill's status the way he worded it just kind of set things into sort of an uncertain space where he said that the chiefs would be monitoring tyreek hill even though all reports throughout the week had been that you know tyreek is going to play despite the limited practices that he got in and i think that that really changed things for a lot of people not necessarily necessarily myself because I still rolled Tyreek but when Locke hit and I saw that Tyreek Hill was sub 10% in cash games I felt great about that I haven't yet seen the snap numbers for Tyreek Hill it did feel like he was resting more in this game especially in a game where you know the Chiefs were actually behind for quite a bit of time it seems like they could have used Tyreek quite a bit more than they did um he only finished with six targets the way that I looked at it and maybe I was wrong here but you know, if these guys play, they're good. And this is a motto that we've followed all year long. Fade the injury concern. If they're in, they're in, and they're going to be 100%. 
It wasn't like a true game time decision. We had basically known on Thursday that Tyreek was just limited. He would be in. And so I played him with no fear. I know that you opted to go with Kelsey. It, it seems like Ridley would have been higher on the pecking order for you as well. Was it fishy to roll with Tyreek Hill and Cash? Uh, I don't think it was fishy because I do agree with the whole mantra of, you know, if they're playing, then they're usually good to go, right? Like we've talked about before, these are top tier athletes with top tier physical trainers, top tier therapy, and they have the money to make sure that they are good each and every single week. But with that being said, he did come into this game hurt. And I think playing him, you were kind of assuming some risk that he wasn't going to be on the field his normal amount. And I don't think he was. Um, I, I think he was still around. 70% if I had to take a guess like it wasn't like he was out there for 50% or 40% like he was still out there a good good bit uh the Chiefs just played so bad in this spot um something that I wasn't expecting personally Tyreek was number three if we're talking about Tyreek Kelsey and Ridley he was number three for me like I said Kelsey was my number one and I, I just think that somewhere you went wrong was playing Tyreek and Hardman in the same lineup. Yeah. That's something that I wouldn't have done personally. Now, I will say I did play Kelsey and Hardman, but I think t with Tyreek, I think he affects Hardman the most in that Chiefs offense. So I was fine rolling with Kelsey because Kelsey is a tight end, obviously, and isn't going to affect snap shares at the wide receiver position for the Chiefs. So I, I will say I think that is where you kind of went wrong with playing those guys together. But I didn't think Tyreek was a bad play by any means. So I just want to explain the Hardman play a little bit because I knew that it was thin prior. And I, I just want to clarify, I wasn't thinking, you know, looking at his game log that he had nine targets last week and that he was going to replicate that because he only played on like 30 or 33% of snaps or something like that last week. So it was obvious that you couldn't project him to replicate a nine target performance. The way that I was looking at it was like the way my construction was, I was in that range, no matter what, I was either going to be playing like Jalen Guyton or Nicole Hardman or Cam Sims. Now, Nicole ended up not being the right choice, but I looked at it in two ways. I'm like, all right, if Tyreek is limited, well, then Nicole is going to be like in there all the time. If he's not, then Tyreek and Nicole together will probably get there because if Tyreek's 100%, he's going to snap in this immaculate spot going against the, the nut matchup in the Falcons defense against wide receivers. And Either way, they can both get there, even though they do slightly ca cannibalize on each other's playing time. This was a spot where the Chiefs had the clear-cut highest total on the slate on just a disgusting slate where I didn't want to play any of these other offenses. So it wasn't necessarily that Hardman was a good play. It was just like the lack of other strong plays in the price range that I found myself in, but it was a risk, and I, and I took that risk, and you're absolutely right about you know playing Tyreek Hill you know, we can think that these guys are good. If they're good, they're good. And that's like our stance on it. And it's been right more than it's been wrong, but it is embracing risk. And I did embrace brisk. You know, I did embrace more risk than maybe you should in a cash game where you're only trying to beat 51% of the field or 49% of the field, right? You know, I didn't need to make such a risky play and I paid the price. Like I didn't win 30% or 70%. I won 2%. <laughs> So, so that's what happens when you, when you don't, when you take that risk and that's, I guess, kind of the player I am. And I had to be okay with that prior and, you know, I got the, got the bad end of that stick. So it is what it is, but I don't, I don't, 
necessarily regret it i just think that maybe in the future i will i'll make a different play there yeah i mean i definitely understand the reasoning uh but just like i said i i probably wouldn't have done it um i like i said i would have done it if it was kelsey and hardman but not tyreek and hardman yeah um god i mean i don't i don't know i think the only other thing in cash games was like uh I don't know, T. Higgins. I thought he was bad chalk. He absolutely snapped. I mean, he could have had an even bigger game. He was one yard away. I know that you felt some type of way about that. Yeah, that was a story with my cash game lineup was just players missing bonuses. Uh, David Montgomery was chalk, but he missed the bonus by five yards. Played T. Higgins, who was also chalk, missed the bonus by one yard. Could have used that extra three points. Travis Kelsey missed the bonus by two yards. Could have used those three extra points. Then if we just look at the Chiefs game, Koo missed the field goal that would have sent the game into overtime, which then would have most likely gave Mahomes his passing bonus. And he ended up scoring 20 points and I rolled him in cash because I thought it was just too good of a spot for the Chiefs to fail. Well, was definitely very wrong on that and just terrible terrible day just ran absolutely bad when it came to the bonuses and that's how it goes sometimes you know i had a month five weeks of straight w's in a row where i was just smashing then uh you know the dfs train just hits me right in the jaw with two straight l's and that's how it goes god all right well, uh, let's transition here and talk about somebody who's having a less miserable day, somebody who actually left their DraftKings app at the end of the night in the green, and that is J.W. Sherry, who won a million dollars on DK. And, you know, I, I had like a nice warm, fuzzy feeling when I looked at this lineup because it felt like a nice, average, run-of-the-mill, kind of fishy lineup, but it just wasn't like jaw-droppingly crazy. It's just like, all right, this is a nice... Millie making lineup. This is what should win a Millie. You know, I don't feel like it was just a collection of a drunken person smashing their keyboard until random place it in there. Like, no, all right, it kind of makes sense. You know, it wasn't a Tyler Eifert too tight end build or a Derek Carr naked with no bring back type, type of vibe. Just a normal Millie making lineup. Texans double stack. Watson to David Johnson and Brandon Cooks brought it back with Higgins. Standard. He ate the chalk with David Montgomery as a one-off. Michael Gallup, Mark Andrews, Jamison Crowder, one-offs. Chargers D, 217.78 points, 122% cumulative ownership. And, you know, just speaking to the type of week it was, it was 20 points less than the winner who won it last week. You know, a lot of the chalk failed this week, and that'll do that to you. It was low scoring in general. And then, you know, the cumulative ownership was almost twice as much as the super contrarian stuff that we've seen a couple times this year. You know, just a, just an average Millie-making team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad team by any means. I like the Texans stack against the Bengals. That was probably one of the higher upside stacks that was going to be lower owned. Uh, Higgins was obviously a good play, ended up getting there 21 points. DeMont was obviously a great play. I had Michael Gallup in my Millie Maker lineup, but then I switched him out for C.D. Lamb. I mean, both of them got there, but Gallup was the, you know, the superior play. Jamison Crowder, we didn't even touch on it, but he was like 20% in cash games. I don't even know how that happened. I, w- I want to know who touted Jamison Crowder. And then he goes off for 29 <laughs> points and throws a touchdown, too, to uh, Braxton Berrios. And yeah, I mean, just a solid team all around. Shout out to, you know, J.W. Sherry and... Million dollars richer. Um, 
wish I could come up with a lineup as good as this one. Yeah, I mean, it, it had the right amount of Millie Maker fish in there because, you know, he did play Jamison Crowder in the flex from the early game and Michael Gallup in, uh, you know, his, his regular wide receiver core. So it's at least a little bit fishy. So we know it's not like a robot generated lineup, you know, straight human fishiness in there. But, you know, standard double stack with one bring back and a, and a couple good one offs. Shout out to you, J.W. Sherry. Good lineup. Let's move on to the interesting stats and storylines portion of the show. And it's a few days old at this point. Happened on Friday, Christmas Day, where Alvin Kamara gifted the people with a phenomenal gift. Six touchdowns in the fantasy championships, an insane performance, 22 attempts for 155 and six, added a couple receptions. What can you even say about a performance like this? Just imagine if you were the person playing against him in week 16 in a redraft league Mm -hmm. yeah i'd be pissed as (laughs) hell because you know you're you're probably toast after that unless you had like mike evans and gaskin and some other guys uh it would have been pretty hard to come back from a 50 what six point deficit that he put up but this man could have had seven touchdowns if they didn't have this weird fetish to give Taysom Hill carries at the goal line like yeah if you were gonna give him six you should have just let him score that touchdown beforehand yep you know that that was that was stupid to me um but nonetheless he had an insane game and that's why he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. There's really not much to say. Like, he just absolutely snapped and killed the Vikings. Like, God. Yeah, Jesus I saw Christ. that he, he shipped somebody a big comeback win for one of the best ball tournaments. I, I wish I knew the user's name. But, yeah, I mean, he, he was kind of buried and then, you know, got that nice 60 raw points or whatever. And just like, damn, like, there you go. And to your point, though, about, you know, they should have given him another touchdown, let him set that record. We had the same kind of situation on Saturday during the Bucks blowout over the Lions where Tom Brady threw for 348 and 4 in the first half and I just don't understand for the life of me why these coaches don't just let these guys go for the record breaking day especially Brady right with the way that the Lions were playing defense that day he could have easily got in the single game passing touchdown record he he only would have needed to throw four touchdowns in the second half you know, he would have liked to add that accolade to the long list of things that makes him the GOAT. And and not to mention, if he did get that record, he would have stolen it from two of his arch nemeses in in Peyton Manning and Nick Foles, two guys that that he would want to steal that from. Am I right? I mean, God. (laughs) Do you know my uh, stance on this situation? I would just run up the score. I'm not going to be that coach that takes on my players when the game is out of hand early. Like, no, you, you play... Until the clock hits zero zero, mm. and if you get eighty dropped on you, just get better. Like <laughs> it's that simple. If you don't like us scoring eighty points on you, that's on you, yeah. not me. But obviously, these coaches have respect for each other, and they would never do that. So that's why Bruce Arians took him out because he could have easily smashed. You know, the single game passing yard record, the single game passing touchdown record, like you said, um, could have been an all-time performance from Tom Brady, but he ended up finishing with about 30 uh, fantasy points. So just absolutely brutal for for fantasy players that roster Tom Brady, including myself, in, in some playoff matchups. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought I was on path to just absolutely smash because I took a hard stance on Brady over Kyler for that slate. And uh, I mean, you know, he he got there, but it it was just tough to see when he didn't come out in the second half. And I completely agree. Just like you got to go hard on these guys. Like what's going to make you want to get better more than getting 80 points dropped right on your head like that's the ultimate motivator so and they didn't even like really take the foot off the gas like what's his face you stepped in like through two or three more touchdowns right so why not yeah, blame blame gabbert yeah like come on bro <laughs> speaking of motivation i mean zeke elliott saw all of the shit that people were talking about him over the past week you know tony pollard is better your contract is a waste you look chubby uh, this and that comes in rushes for a season high 105 yards on the ground adds adds a couple receptions for 34 more do you think that the former top five pick by the dallas cowboys still has some juice yeah i mean zeke look good and i i definitely think he was inspired from seeing tony pollard just absolutely show him up the week before he was definitely on a mission today to prove the haters wrong to prove that he was worth the contract that the cowboys gave him and maybe one thing we're not realizing or taking into account with zeke for this season is maybe the covid the coronavirus that he tested positive with before the season mm. affected him more than he was letting on. Have you ever thought about that? Because yeah. he did test positive before the season, and maybe that has just had a lasting effect because we know you can experience effects up, you know, to months after you test positive. So maybe we can attribute COVID nineteen to Zeke's bad 2020 season i wouldn't say that it's not a factor i mean i heard i've heard people make a similar argument with cam newton but i i don't know about that i mean i don't i wouldn't write it off though i mean we don't know we don't know what it's like to be a professional athlete who's going out there and and giving it your all and also recovering from this disease that's killed hundreds of thousands of people so yeah i mean i think that that could be a a contributing factor i also think that a contributing factor could be the loss of dak prescott and the fact that you know zeke elliott would probably be an easy you know stone cold lock to be an rb1 if if that offense had kept rolling the way it had been at the beginning of the year right so um, zeke to me is a player that I will look at in 2021 drafts and my opinion on him will be shaped on his price. You know, if he, if people are like buying him as a first round pick still, then it might be hard. It might be time to stay away and think that there's some juice with Tony Pollard. If people are looking at the way Zeke's season ended and he falls into the third round, or, or the late third round, top of the fourth, well, then I think I would be buying. So to me, it's just going to be a market reaction thing with how we look at Zeke going forward. Because, I mean, I think he's still got the juice. I think he could still get there. I think he's still going to be a priority for Dallas. Like, he is one of the faces of their franchise. It's him and Dak on the offense, and they don't really have any defensive players or you know anything like that to, to be the face. So I think Zeke is still an important part of that team. And with Dak back next year, I, I could buy a rebound. I could. Yeah, I, I think that a rebound season next year is definitely in the realm of possibility for Zeke. Uh, I still think he is one of the better running backs in the NFL. It's just he's had a bad year, and I, I think getting into the offseason, getting a full offseason in with no COVID, 
and coming back next year will benefit him more, especially if the Cowboys can get a deal done with Dak. That offense should be a top five offense if that is the case for next season, if they can get that deal done. And I don't know what Tony Pollard's status is. Is he by chance a free agent or no? Uh, I literally could not tell you. Pollard has one more year left, so it could be a split situation, but we'll talk more about that in the offseason. Let's do a quick run here of where we stand with this potentially all-time great crop of rookie quarterbacks because this is like a dramatic class. You know, we got a lot of studs and and there's drama around each of them. You know, Jalen Hurts continued to be a productive fantasy asset today more of a down-to-earth real-life performance, another three turnovers, although one of them was just absolutely egregious, one of the worst calls I've seen all year, but it still would be hard to not be excited if you were an Eagles fan looking at Jalen Hurts and what he could potentially bring to the franchise in the future. We also had a modest Justin Herbert outing for the Chargers, but nonetheless, he did set, or I should say reset, the rookie passing touchdown record. Currently, with 28 passing touchdowns as a rookie, he overtakes Baker Mayfield's record and still has one more game to pad those stats. And then in Miami on Saturday night, Tua once again gets benched towards the end of the game only to make way for Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in, make one of the most heroic plays you'll see in all of 2020, and then get named the starter once again. Like, Tua's going to be coming back and starting this game, and, and, you know, Brian Flores, coach of the Dolphins, was just being like, yeah, like, Fitzpatrick is, like, the relief pitcher. He came in to, to end the game. Like, what? Like, what is he even talking about? This is one of, that is one of the crazier things, but all three of these guys have drama around them, and... It's pretty interesting to see. The Tua situation is is crazy, like you said, uh, that they're pretty much using Ryan Fitzpatrick as a closer <laughs> when they need to come back in games <laughs> or like, or like, think about close that, out. Though. Like, I've never heard of that before in my life. <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of nutty. But Jalen Hurts, I think he'll be really good. Uh, Justin Herbert is already a pretty good quarterback, probably top 12 in the NFL. And Tua, I mean, he he just looks bad. Um, I, I still kind of want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think that he is still a good quarterback. And we talked about it a little bit uh episode or two ago about Tua. Just, he, he just doesn't make mistakes and he's very accurate, but he does look bad. He does miss some throws here and there. And he looks scared to try and fit the ball in to tight windows and they talked about it during the game actually which I I thought was one of the smarter things that they they said during the broadcast was he's used to wide receivers being so open at Alabama but in the NFL open is one step and I, I think he's still getting used to just throwing it in there even if it looks like he's not open his wide receivers aren't open I should say so I'm still holding out hope for Tua but he is clear-cut the worst out of these three rookies four if we include Joe Burrow who obviously tore his ACL right now I would probably say that that Justin Herbert is the best out of the four. I mean, from a real life perspective, I, I think so, especially when you consider the fact that he's being held down by a incompetent coach. I think that Jalen Hurts has the most fantasy upside. Like you could easily see a, you know, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson-esque trajectory for him with what he's able to do on the ground each and every week. Um, And he's shown with, you know, two 300-yard passing performances and 
his three starts that he can do it, you know, through the air as well. So I think I'm super bullish on Jalen Hurts as, you know, a fantasy asset in the future. With Tua, I mean, from a real life perspective, I do think it is kind of crazy that when things get clutch and when your season is on the line twice, you've turned to Ryan Fitzpatrick to save the day and you just don't trust him. But like you said, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And the fact that all of these guys have looked as good as they have during the COVID year when there was no training camp, like I feel like that has almost been forgotten because we've just been talking about COVID for at like every single week. Like it's all anybody talks about, right? So it, it kind of gets overlooked that this was a super shortened offseason. A lot of these guys like Jalen Hurts didn't get any run. He he was playing behind Wentz the whole time. He comes in, looks amazing. It's crazy. It's like getting completely overshadowed. If a rookie came in and played as well as he had five years ago, it would be the biggest story in the NFL. But there's been a Patrick Mahomes and a Lamar Jackson and a Kyler Murray and a Justin Herbert since then. So it feels like old news, but it's really not. It's still astounding. And when you add in the fact that it was a short season, I'm bullish on all four of these guys. And this could go down as the best rookie quarterback class of all time. I really do believe that. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of shaping out to be that way, the way that Burrow played when he was playing and the way that Herbert has played this season. Then Hurts comes in and immediately elevates that Eagles offense into a watchable team. And then Tua, who has won games for Miami, I definitely think this could go down as the best class ever. And I think these four quarterbacks will be starting quarterbacks in the NFL for a long time time. While we're here talking about the future of NFL quarterbacking, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars, we got to give it up to them. They did what they had to do. They benched the best quarterback on their team, Gardner Minshew, and in favor of long neck Mike Glennon. Uh, They were quote unquote cautious with James Robinson, decided to hold him out of this game. You know, I, I don't know how injured he actually was, but it's neither here nor there because it paid off. 2021 number one draft pick in the NFL draft has been secured. The Jags have it. Trevor Lawrence will be a Jacksonville Jaguar next year. And meanwhile, the Jets, who only a few weeks ago were seemingly involved in the most like blatant and obvious tanking that we've ever seen in the NFL, where, you know, they gave up that insane Henry Ruggs touchdown on fourth down and blitzed more players than anybody had ever blitzed in a situation like that, yada, yada, yada. Today, stacked a second win against Cleveland, and now Adam Gase is probably going to get fired, not because he went 2-13 and over the first 15 weeks of the season, but because he won two straight, completely fumbled the bag, and lost out on the Jets' opportunity to get Trevor. Just a wild turn of events. <laughs> yeah, the Jets are... I don't even know what they're doing. I, I still think that they want to make a run at Dak. I know you don't think he is going to sign with the Jets, but I think they are going to try and make a huge offer for Dak, or I believe that they believe in Sam Darnold and want to surround him with new pieces through the draft and with a new coach next year, kind of a fresh start for that entire Jets organization. But the Jaguars, if I could buy stock in the team, it would be the Jags because Trevor Lawrence is immediately going to elevate that offense into one of the better ones in the AFC. And they have playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, right? They got James Robinson, who is one of the best running backs in the NFL right now. DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Keelan Cole is solid. 
and they'll get back Josh Oliver. We'll talk about him plenty in the 2021 offseason. Uh, so if I could buy stock in a team, it would 100% be the Jaguars. And I, I think in Dynasty, the Jaguars skill players are players that I am going to be trying to acquire. And I think people should be trying to acquire in the offseason. Yep. James Robinson next year. DJ Chark potentially next year. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent on that. I have a theory for you and and let you know you can let me know if this is crazy or not. But I, I do think that with the loss of the number one overall pick, the most likely outcome is that the Jets, you know, use the second pick to take a quarterback, right? Like that's the most obvious thing that they could do. But there is another outcome, another reality where their GM, Douglas, who was in 2016 the Philadelphia Eagles vice president of player personnel the year that they drafted Carson Wentz a player who will not have a home next year I think that that makes some sense Carson Wentz to the Jets I mean this was a guy who was literally the vice president of player personnel the year that the Eagles drafted Carson Wentz (laughs) I mean I, I I could see it happening because the Jets have like the most cap space out of any team in the NFL and they'd be able to handle the mm-hmm. Carson Wentz cap hit but uh they're a team that good things don't happen to like it would be great if they got Dak but it seems more likely that they're doomed to endure some more misery so they'll get Carson Wentz and it <laughs> won't work out and then you know fast forward 3 years later and they're in another reboot <laughs> yeah i i mean you're definitely right about that but I just don't see them trading for Wentz, especially after his 2020 season. And he's just shown how far he has regressed. Uh, I just can't see them trading, you know, a second overall pick for Carson Wentz. I just don't see that happening. But maybe Uh, the second round pick. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Um, Maybe they're maybe they will take a quarterback. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see on that. Um. It's definitely going to be the most interesting situation to watch in the offseason, though, I think, is is how they go about their rebuild and their failed tank job because they just lost out on one of the best quarterback prospects to ever come out of college football. So tough scene for the Jets, but the like, yeah, the Jags, I mean, the Jags are are going to be lit. Yeah. Shout out to the Jags. They're definitely in a great situation. And the Jets, you know, it could always work out for them. Like, it, it could always be a situation like this year where, you know, Joe Burrow goes first, but there's still a Justin Herbert or a Jalen Hurts out there, and the Jets could be fine. But, you know, it, it's still no excuse for you fumbling on the opportunity to get a guy who is, you know, projecting to be as secure a pick as Trevor Lawrence. It's just absolutely no excuse. Uh-huh. And I think it is hilarious how all year – all of Twitter and all of, you know, any NFL writer, anybody who talks about football was like, how are all these other coaches getting fired and Adam Gase isn't. But then the week after Adam Gase finally wins a game, that's when the reports start to service that Adam Gase might be in jeopardy of losing his job. Like that is actually hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah, Adam Gase is 100% getting fired. Um, I, I would... I wouldn't be surprised if he gets fired like tomorrow he, or the next yeah. day. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was fired by the time this podcast comes out. Like he might already be fired by the time people are listening. To I this. mean, yeah, that's definitely a possibility because it's just a matter of when they decide to do it, which I did see that they will probably do it within the next couple of days because you can 
start talking to coaches earlier. It's like a new uh, new rule in the NFL law bylaws or some something. You can meet with coaches sooner oh. than earlier years. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. Final story here. Brandon Cooks had his first big game in the post-Will Fuller suspension era in Houston. And Joey, he did it at the right time. This is a man that you have just relentlessly disparaged. He goes for over, well over 100 yards today, gets the long touchdown. And uh, he was a key piece in what will go down as one of the great victories in redraft fantasy history. (laughs) Yeah, Brandon Cooks decided to be an alpha today, I guess. (laughs) After him being trashed for his whole career, he decided to have one of his best games ever against me in one of our redraft championships that Ben unfortunately beat me in. Uh, So shout out to Ben for winning that league. Uh, just, Just a... Just an absolutely brutal run out for me in that league. Um, had one of the best teams all season. Team did pretty well today, but Ben's players just outperformed mine. Jonathan Taylor scored two touchdowns. Brandon Cooks had a career day. Watson snapped per usual. And, you know, my guy's just going to match it. So what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, so the real predicament here, though, is according to Yahoo, even though all of your players have played, and I still have Stefan Diggs left, and I'm up by 12, you still have a 4% chance of winning, according to <laughs> Yahoo.com. So I think that the optimal play is to just bench Stefan Diggs, and that works on two levels. On one level, it should make it 100%, because then I can't lose points in a situation where he gets eight fumbles or something like that. And also, then I can say for the next 10 years that I beat you without even playing a full team. I, I definitely feel like that's the play. Hey, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think so. You know, congrats on a good season. Shout out to you. You really kicked my team into gear. I was on a devastating losing streak until I played you in week 11, won six straight, shipped the league. Shout out to me. <laughs> yeah, it must be nice to must be nice to run good in fantasy football because I don't know about that. Yeah, Mister Run Good over here with the two point eight seven percent win rate in DK Cash. I mean, I easily <laughs> lost like twice as much as I won from this redraft league on DraftKings today. So, yeah, I don't know about running good, but it, it helps numb the pain a little bit. I, I think it'll at least help me. Um, you know, at least pay for food while I'm living on the street. I can I can go into the dollar store and get some Cheetos for the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the streets too, unfortunately. So let me know if you find the good dumpster with with like the fresh <laughs> bread. <laughs> God, all right, guys. Um, thank you all for listening. That's gonna be it for episode 122. Looking forward to a interesting week 17. Week 17 slates in NFL are always crazy, always a lot of speculation on you know who's trying, who's gonna be playing who, who's gonna rest who. Uh, it's always gonna be a lot of good stuff. So a lot of analysis coming from us on this week. It's going to be all 16 games on Sunday. It's going to be a huge main slate. No Friday, no Saturday, no Monday, Thursday games. Nope, it's just straight up Sunday. And we're going to cover all of that on what I'm sure will be a long podcast on Thursday. We'll you know have, be updating our thoughts throughout the weekend on Discord. Going to be plenty of opportunity to finish this NFL season strong. 
Make sure you stay up to date with us so you can be involved in that next week. You can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose or subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you use, whether that's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel as well at the DFS Dose. If you'd like to support our personal Twitters as well, I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at DFS. All right, guys. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on Thursday.